Yeah. I can do anything. Yeah. Hell no. Hell no. Hell no. Hell no. I can do anything. Yeah. Hell no. This podcast is brought to you by. <laughs> I'm just kidding. We're not there yet. <laughs> not quite yet. <laughs> Hello, everybody. This is uh, Patrick. And it's Ania. <laughs> oh, my God. Welcome to the Common Sense Podcast, episode one. I think we're still figuring it out. But you know what? It's working well. I really wish that they could be a part of the pre-show. But, um, you know. You do what you can. Um, welcome, everybody, to our first episode. Like, I'm so excited about this. We've been talking about this for so many weeks, and now it is finally here. We get a chance to interact with the people in an unfiltered. Unfiltered. Kind of yes. <laughs> in hopes that we get a chance to create some conversations with educators and non-educators about how we can get better at the work of getting our babies into the world with as much knowledge as possible. So with that being said, you have some good news this week, Antonia. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yes. Um. So I know most of us over the summer, like you have to attend professional development, right? Um, I was privileged to be able to attend the Montessori for just uh, Montessori for social justice conference in St. Paul, Minnesota. And I'm not a Montessorian, but, um, it was a space that was really welcoming. And I think it offered a lot of what some of us are looking for in professional development nowadays. Um, but what really just encouraged me and made me walk away thinking that it was worth my time and money to attend was that they had a um, people of the global majority retreat. Uh, So for the entire day, I just got to hold space with other educators of color and lift each other up and affirm each other. Um, I've just never had a space like that. So that, that is my good news. I appreciated it. I'm excited to go back next year and I will be bringing you with me because you need to be there. I don't know enough about Montessori education. Um, It's one of those parts of the education world that I think people may have heard the name or know one or two things about it, but it seems like this like Hogwarts to me. So like, I would love to know more. I'm sure you have tons of books to recommend, but yes, I, <laughs> I definitely and people be- that can teach us about it. Yes, absolutely. I loved your um posts and recordings that you did at the conference. I le- <laughs> I learned a lot. <laughs> I learned a lot. Learned a lot, you say. I learned a lot. So I, I appreciate you for sharing that with us in the world. Um, So for me this week, I have been working in DC, which I don't know why the hell I'm working, but I'll tell you why I continue to work. (laughs) So I'm working with an organization in in DC that is preparing young adults um, between the ages of 21 and 24 um, for employment in a field that they are most passionate about. 
these adults have um, endured some type of challenge in their trajectory and they are receiving uh, help and funds from the government to give them a space to learn work readiness skills and then to apply and land a job that they're super passionate about. And I'm loving this simply because we forget about adults. (laughs) Like, like, it's like, oh, once you graduate high school, all right, you're totally done. That's it. Um, and we wash your hand. Right. And it's like, unless you're a teacher, then technically, you know, your learning is quote unquote done. But what I'm realizing from this experience is how much school has traumatized so many individuals, particularly from low income areas and how that has an effect on them post high school. Um, And it's really pushing me to get involved in as many levels of education that I can as an, as a teacher. And then also seeing how I can instill a love for lifelong learning in my students and that intrinsic motivation that we talk about so much. How can we get that in our youth so that they don't need school um, to love learning, if that makes sense? Um, it it makes me think of um there's a book I was reading. I think it was uh, by Sonia Nieto and either she was referencing Pedagogy of the Oppressed okay. or maybe I'm mixing it up, but she was basically talking about how we need to shift our mindset from well, why didn't this child graduate or why aren't they successful like straight out of high school to thinking of like what systems are in place that kept them from reaching, I guess, societal expectations. Right. Like what went into that and not looking at it so much as a def like with a deficit oriented lens on the child's part, which I think so many of us are guilty of, right? Without even realizing it. And that's what I love about this program so much is that for once they're having the opportunity to decide what success looks like for them. Um, and then they have the opportunity to achieve that. I think the biggest challenge for me in this role is I'm a very teachery kind of guy. I love a good PowerPoint and I'm the work readiness in- in- instructor. And so I'm learning how can I um, engage students so that they're not turned off by quote unquote school Um or I guess maybe a better question is like, how can I create more positive school like experiences for them so they can kind of get re-involved in mm-hmm. that? It's like it's such a different kind of work, and so I'm um, I'm learning a lot. I'm tired, but it's good. Like I bet good. you are. I have not stopped moving. I have not stopped moving since the end of the school year. Um, but hopefully soon. <laughs> Hopefully. I've become an expert in couch potatoing. If if that is a how a much thing. are they paying you for that? Uh, <laughs> I I also have the same question. Um, so folks, we are going to get straight into the main topic of this episode, and we just want to share some things that you should leave in last school year. Okay. The Uh-oh. summer is about reflection. It is about 
figuring out what worked and what didn't work. And we are going to share some things with you um, that we believe you should not take with you into this next school year. Leave it, Leave it behind. behind for your sake, your school's sake, and the your kids. kids' sake. Leave it behind, and let's keep on moving. So, what are you leaving behind in last school year? Um, <laughs> I am leaving behind the word diverse. I've been toying around with it for quite some time, but I think I'm finally ready to just leave that one because. With all the reading I've done this summer and talking with other people, um, what are you positioning as the norm when you use the word diverse? Like, is it whiteness? What makes a book diverse? I mean, we love sharing our diverse <laughs> book list, but is Shout out to Scholastic. A- <laughs> Shout out to Scholastic, who, who, okay, so they started that in fall wow. 2015. And then within... I think it was fall 16 that they released happy birthday, a cake for George Washington or something. And then this year they just experienced backlash over the Trump book. And so it's just like, who is this diverse reads list for? Is it really for the children or is it just a moneymaker? Like, can we talk about this? Um, yeah, 2015, they partnered with We Need Diverse Books. It's, it's been interesting to see the progression of it. That is so interesting to me being scholastic. Like they have been around for so many years. Um, and I guess they believe that there were no such thing as diverse books, quote unquote. They did not. I mean, I guess kids need it didn't need it before style. then, right? But it's also interesting that mm. there has to be a separate catalog for it. Like, why can this not just be in the standard catalog that all the children receive? Why does there have to be a separate catalog that you're putting diverse books in. And then my next question is, who is writing these diverse books? Like, are they people (laughs) who are from the background that they're writing about? I highly, I highly doubt it, Um, which, I don't know, I just have issues with it. So I'm not going to be recommending. we know that diverse, anything diverse right now is trendy, especially in education. Like you say diverse, you are bound to get a ton of followers and a ton of money. And so Scholastic is hopping on that train because at the end of the day, they're trying to get them coins. Oh, yes, they are. There's money to be made from Scholastic. There's money to be made. I am what, leaving what behind. What are you leaving behind? So a bet. Students will be able to. So I had an amazing, hmm. I had an amazing retreat um, <laughs> this year or this summer. With the teacher's college. Shout out to Klingenstein. And I was really challenged um, with the assessment project that we had. Since I did un, um, Teach for America and even an undergrad. <laughs> shade. Um, and especially in the charter school world. It is all about what do you what do you want students to do at the end of your lesson? What do you want them to do? Um, and so whenever we plan, we always had to start with, you know, students will be able to blank. And like that was your objective for the day. But what I was always frustrated with um, was that, well, why can't students do this stuff? Right. One. And, and then two, why aren't they doing it over a period of time? 
For example, I'm an ELA teacher and I love teaching annotation. Like that's my thing. And so, yeah, I love it. I love to mark up a text. Really? Okay. All the things. And I remember one day, um, this year actually, you my objective was like students will be able to annotate, blah, 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 or like something like that. And the lesson went great. They were annotating the shit out of this like poem or song or whatever. Um, but then when we had an assessment, nobody annotated. And so like hmm. that led me to believe that like students really hmm. don't one understand why they're annotating and they don't really value it as a sustainable practice and then that was then reaffirmed at the institute that i went to so i think for me i'm switching it and that when i'm planning my lessons i don't want to think about what do i want students to be able to do and instead i want to think about what should students understand and i want to try to um tap into that conceptual piece okay. instead of the um the the production piece because i feel like if we plan with changing their understanding changing their misconceptions then we have more of a long-term bang for our buck that's interesting um i'm trying to think of what that would look like in Sorry. kindergarten how would that shift my my planning right and how i execute because it's like right. now you're really and thinking of the end goal. It's not and just the thing the that my that lead teacher told out. me. Shout out to like, her. Going beyond was, that. She said, okay, so we're doing the syllabat because <laughs> we want students to pass a test. That's the real reason why we're doing it. Or we want them to perform well on an assessment. And people who are not education okay. listeners, right? You did the same thing, right? You wanted to do that lattice method and multiplication, you know, because you wanted to have the easiest method to do well on the test. But the real question is, when the test is over, what do you want students to be able to understand about the work? Or what do you want them to do after the after the test? What, like, what do they truly walk away with? If I want my students what to value with, annotation right? as a lifelong practice, then I have to plan for that. And that when the test is over... I want them to be able to be reading the New York Times and be able to circle something and be able to write in that margin and be like, oh, this reminded me of that. You know what I'm saying? Like, right? Make a connection and, and, and be like, oh, like, I felt <laughs> that. that. Or I want them to, like, have a contract or um, um, be in some type of, right? Be in a law firm or something like that, and they're marking so real life up, like a court document or something like that, and and for them to be like, oh, Mister Harris really changed my understanding of this, and like like I want them to think like that instead of just doing it, uh, for my approval and f- for a grade, if you will. So the new thing is not so a bad. So are you going to write students so will be what? able to understand on the board? Students will understand that. Shout out to Kingston. Shout out to the Teachers College for challenging me on that. Students will and understand that. I'm doing it in the fall. He's giving that to <laughs> y'all for free. 
So go it's try okay. it for free. And you can write it on the board. You know the admin. Give it to you the for free. You can record like, this so what's your and objective? send this out. I'm not going to be upset. Y'all not messing up my coin at, at all. I want us all to be great. That's all I'm saying. What else are you leaving? Um, So it wasn't something so much that I did, but it's something that I saw done um, where I work. The tourist approach to multiculturalism. So... I work in an extremely diverse school, right? And teachers naturally feel like they want to, we want to do right by children for the most part, some of us, not all of us. Um, But that's (laughs) beside the point. So you check the box to say, oh, I taught Chinese New Year. Oh, I taught Hispanic Heritage Month. Oh, I taught Black History Month. OMG, coloring Martin Luther King. Check, check, check. And you have a craft for each day that you got on TPT. Yes. Color Martin Luther King. No, no, no. But we have a template with the with the beard and the What's face, your dream? and and we're gonna glue it down, and it's gonna be nice. And we're gonna write two sentences about it. I I think it's really damaging because kids walk away with one idea of whatever you covered. So if you covered Chinese New Year, they walk away maybe only knowing about the red envelope and not understanding the significance of what this holiday means to people who celebrate it, or they walk away from. Black History Month, they know about Rosa Parks and they know about MLK, but they don't know who Asada is. They don't know why people were fighting. They don't know um, how black people felt during that time, right? We don't really explore that. We just kind of touch briefly on it to say we did it and then we move on. And I really, I think next year I'm going to challenge myself to kind of um, challenge the people I work with when we, when those things come up. Because my kids... I'm like on this little island almost. My kids are doing completely separate things and they're going out and they're saying, well, we did this and it's raising questions. And so maybe kind of sharing more of what I'm doing and not so much sharing after I've done it. So like inviting people in during the planning process of it, if they're interested, Um, because the tourist approach kind of pisses me off. Like I'm tired of walking down the hallway and seeing your little poems with the people on them because the kids didn't learn nothing and you put those books up after the holiday's over after the month is over after the holiday is over like what what is it that we're asking of children um when we plan these holiday celebrations if you will right no yeah i agree i would even argue that plan is a is a nice word to use because we know so many of us are not planning and using primary sources when we're like yeah. gathering our information about what we're Some about to give these kids. It's just like click, download, print. And putting and black and white photos. And that, that's not And calling that a complex text. So therefore, I think that it is really, <laughs> it's really important that we do our research as educators before we start to um even think about planning for our students what what are our misconceptions about these holidays that we deem as important for students to learn about how do they relate to our students what do we want our students to to take away um and mainly you know how and then just keep taking it back to yourself how have i celebrated what biases do i have um and like what does that mean for my students yeah there's work so there's work to be oh done God. every year you don't just Christmas pull out the same, the same thing every year every and say year. okay well i've done enough research and now every I can do year. 
that shit is weird to me. It's really weird. Every year. Like, Ugh, and I'm about to say, I got I my can't, bucket. I'm going to get I my can't. bucket down in February. <laughs> it's just interesting to me. I mean, because so much of what we isolate can be taught through, uh, what's the best word to use? Like, it can be integrated across the board every single day. And, like, you can highlight it when it's specifically taking place, right? And help them to understand, like, the distinctness of it, I guess. But like, it doesn't, it should not be isolated. Like the first time a child sees a book about Martin Luther King Jr. should not be in February. I am also going to leave behind this year. This is the first time this is ever happening. And my three years. Goodbye, class dojo. No more. That's it. I'm done with it. I am over You're not giving no more points? Class Dojo. And I have been using it every single year as a tool to motivate students and to give students consequences um, using the point system. So for those of you who are not educators, hi, first of all. Second of all, Class Dojo is a classroom management tool where basically all students are monsters on this screen and they have points. And then teachers or really anybody in a school um, gets to assign certain behaviors to point values. So if I so I could put like walking in line one point. Um, and then like you can do negative values as well. So like talking negative one point. And then when you see students have those uh, exhibit those behaviors, you give them the corresponding it's points. It's really uh, odd when you explain it that way. Like it, it just sounds unnatural. Like that's something that shouldn't be used. Right. And I am really on a mission to check the way that I motivate my students to learn. And I'm really trying to ultimately ensure that my classroom and my school is nothing like the local county jail that is not too far away. And I truly believe that Class Dojo puts students in this space where they are conditioned to respond in particular ways when they hear the ding or they hear the the dong, if you will. I mean, that's Conditioned what, is a good word. That's a good word to right. use. It's like the, what is it, Pavlov? And it, it the, was the, crazy. <laughs> the way that I was introduced this, was this well, if you give them, if you give someone the point for walking in line, when they hear the ding sound, because you're supposed to turn your iPad or your phone up um, so that everybody can hear, then everybody's going to get in line because everybody wants those points, right? Then, like, when somebody is doing some, some something wrong, mm-hmm. you give them the negative points, and there's a sound correlated to that. And that then evokes an emotional response. Every time you give someone a positive point, they light up with smiles. Anytime you give someone a negative point, they ultimately, like, soak in disappointment. And I don't want to be responsible for that type of trauma in my classroom. Like I want my students to ultimately feel like they are in control of their own success. And I've tried to work with Class Dojo 
and try to figure out how I can kind of marry the two together. But what I just realized, I just, I don't want a behavior management system um, that is kind of pushing students um, to work. It's ultimately oppressive and like they're competing to show who's the most motivated or who is, who wants um, the most points, you know, the best in behavior or whatever. It's just like, no, like every child is different. Every child responds differently. Um, You know, shit happens on a Monday. You know what I'm saying? Like coming off, off of the weekend, like I don't, I don't want to use class dojo as a way to continuously um, oppress students. And yeah. So did you ever use a color clip chart? I did my first year. Like you're on red. Like it's the same thing. It, it, it just does nothing but tear students down because they're not doing things in the classroom for the sake of being, or learning how to be great people and great citizens, they're doing things to avoid being on red. Nobody wants to be on red, period. Nobody wants to be on red. I had one my first year um, because, <laughs> yeah, admin came in and was like, where's her clip chart? I did not have one. So they put one together for me and they brought it in. And because it was something they were looking for on observations, I had it up and I was trying to use it initially until one of my little friends was asked to clip down and he yanked my clip chart down. And <laughs> I, I one day want to go back and thank him because clip chart did not go back up after that. Um, and I didn't use Dojo either, but I didn't use Dojo because I was angry at the fact they expected me to use it because they weren't paying my phone bill. And so I didn't think I should <laughs> be taking up space on my phone with apps that they want me to have if they're not providing said phone to put the app on. Um, so for the rest of the year, I just I didn't do anything. And it sounds crazy, but I think the best behavior management, which it the the more I say it, the the more I start to hate that term because behavior isn't necessarily something to be managed like as teachers I'm I'm really starting to believe like it's our job to you're kind of we're helping to socialize children right and so if you do something that I view as wrong or that is harmful to our classroom community or another child feels is wrong or harmful to them it's a teaching moment like we need to address it talk about why that was not okay and like you move on I mean it you move on. So like natural and logical consequences are what I use for behavior management. In kindergarten, I don't have a clip chart. I didn't award points last year. There was, there's nothing like that. There was no extrinsic motivation system. Um, My question for you is, how do you want students to react when Dojo no longer exists? When Dojo is no longer um, available via the next teacher or via uh, real life. How do you expect for students to exhibit good behavior if you have conditioned them to do things in response to a sound or an <laughs> award for points, um, the most amount of points or whatever? 
Um, I do want to apologize to my first three classes <laughs> that I made y'all go through that class dojo mess. I really do apologize. Like, man. And some of them enjoyed it. Some, you know, ultimately, though, I truly regret it. And I'm leaving it in last year. <laughs> it's, it's sad to say that I hate to to talk about like how we you grow each year, which you do, but it's just like I impacted children with my choices. And like it's it's kind of difficult to to work through when you reflect on what you did and you're just like, I, I can't believe I did that in my classroom. Um I yeah, if I could, I would apologize to my first grade class. I, I taught first grade last year. It's a no. Yeah, they were not pleased with that clip chart. Um so never again. Never again. It's a no. But one I just want to add one more thing. On, like it's possible to not use a behavior management system. Come and children are capable. Like if you explain something to a child, like this is why we're doing huh? Right. This is why we're doing this. This is why we cannot do this. This is the consequence or reaction to whatever action. And you explain that to them. A lot of times you don't have problems. One other thing I'm leaving in mm. last school year. Um, this past school year, I had a very reclaiming I knew we my were time mentality. Write down the same thing. Go ahead. And I didn't want to do anything after school that I wasn't being paid for. Um, and I honestly think that it kind like in reflecting, I think it to a small degree prohibited me from making deeper connections because at three forty five, I was ready to go. I had my keys in my hand and I was out. And while that is okay and I I functioned properly and my kids did what I needed them to do and they got to where I wanted them to, I I felt like I was missing a piece of of a puzzle. Um, And I didn't feel as satisfied at the end of the year as I could have if I had invested a little more time. So like for me, attending... um, attending after school events right. because I live so far from where I work was it was I don't want to call it a chore right but it was a very concentrated effort for me to decide to come back at six o'clock or seven o'clock to do something like that um but next year I do want to take the time to show up a little bit more for evening things just to develop a better a better relationship with the families at the school that I'm at because I plan to stay there for a yeah. while. So and so this year you're going to be what? I'm going to work a little harder next year because this last year I was 345. I'm done. <laughs> okay. 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 I think 347 oh, maybe and come back at seven. <laughs> 347. <laughs> I don't know. I just want to work. I, I just, I think I want right. to build or go maybe develop deeper relationships this year. That's so I said either I'm you? coming early and leaving on time. I feel like it's the or complete I'm opposite. I'm coming on time right? and staying later, but I'm not coming early and staying late. Like that's yeah, I am leaving behind. Oh no! Spending no, that's a no. An obnoxious amount of hours in the school building being unproductive. And, and so if I'm going to spend those hours in the school building, I'm going to try to use my planning time 
more effectively. <laughs> um, if I'm going to come early, I'm going to actually work. If I'm going to stay after school, it's going to be for a, a very specific purpose and I'm going to get things done so that when I get home and I lay across my couch and I turn my soap opera on and I hang out with my cat, I'm not feeling bogged down. <laughs> Don't be a hater. <laughs> I'm not feeling like bogged down by lesson plans. And there's this like unspoken rule that teachers are supposed to be um, spending their time outside of the school building working and shopping and um, doing so many things for students that they shouldn't have a life like that is like an unspoken expectation. Um, and if you want to know if that exists in your school, look at how your schedule is made. Like if your schedule does not allow for an adequate amount of time for teachers to actually lesson plan, like then your school is probably expecting you to do work outside of the amount of hours that you have in the school building. For example, my first year of teaching, we had a 45-minute period, one 45-minute period. This year, I have That's what 90 I have. minutes a day in planning, and that does not include not having lunch duty. So if I don't have lunch duty, then I practically have almost two hours like to myself every day. Um, that is crazy. not the norm in public ed. And you know like, that. How do they expect you I to, get like, 45 minutes a day. get your work done? Yeah, and a duty-free lunch. And- I do enjoy Saturdays. I've yeah. done, I did, um, I went up there a few times on Saturday this past year, um, mainly for conferences. Right. Because I wanted right. to be accessible, so I did do some um, Saturday conferences with parents. But it's so quiet, and there's no one to talk to, no one at the copy machine. On the um, weekend, so that is in can get that stuff done. isn't even an option for them. So it's just like, come. anything else you're leaving in your last year that you're not bringing into the next year? Um, what else am I leaving? Oh, last year I did buy TPT products. I stopped purchasing them around October, I believe, girl. October, November. This year, I will not wow. be using any of them in my classroom. So, excited to see what that looks like, right? I slowly started getting um, or tell slowly the stopped who, using them. Tell the people what TPT once I, like, is my heart for those decision non-educated. On <laughs> oh, for those that don't know. Uh, goodness. How do I say this nicely? Um, TP. <laughs> Are we going to get in trouble for this? <laughs> TPT is teachers pay teachers, um, and you can basically think of it as a platform where teachers pay other teachers <laughs> to do their job. I mean, if you are interested in packaged and scripted curriculum that we say we don't want all the time, then sure. I. And if you have Ast- if you got if you got money for it, an Astro Bright paper and the whole shebang, go for it. But I worry about the the quality right. of the things on there. It just rigor. <laughs> it's not there. We know rigor's a buzzword, right? I think you ain't gonna find it on a TPT product. Two sentences. And about I tweeted a this. 
I think that the my main issue with TPT is that it forces educators to be consumed with the product and not so much of the process, meaning the process of lesson planning, the, the thinking through the process of how your students learn in your local context. Like thinking about that as opposed to what's trendy and what looks cute and what looks nice and what, and what works in somebody else's classroom that won't translate as well to your context. So it takes a lot of the actual work away. And I get like people don't want to work as hard and don't want to work as long, right? But there's no way that you can download something that someone created for their set of kids if they're still in the classroom, first of all, because we know some people do TPT full time and they leave and they don't teach anymore. There's no way you can download these products with these instructions and and expect to execute that in your classroom the same way that they intended you to. Like there is something that's going well, to change. I don't know. And I, I also, another issue I have with it is the fact that we're subsidizing what districts should be providing us with. So that's my opinion on it. Don't slide in my DMs asking that, what I think about TPT anymore. And that's really the tame because version. Because I just told you. <laughs> so like we, we, we really could do a whole episode on that. <laughs> and we probably will. Um, I'm being nice, in right? In the near future. And on that note, those are the things that we are going to leave in the last school year. We're not taking them in we're not taking them into 2018, 2019 because we're trying to get better every single year. We would love to know what things are you leaving behind. So tweet us and let us know. And on that note, we're going to take a quick break. Yeah. And we're back. Again. Okay. <laughs> we <laughs> Ooh, the corniness of it all. I love it. Too much. Um so our next segment is gonna be a QA. If y'all have questions for us, you can email them to us at commonsensepod at gmail.com or you can temporarily slide into our DMs for now. Um, with your questions like you already do. Um, <laughs> your Southern accent really came out there. That's oh, man. <laughs> Y'all so can slide I- <laughs> into our DMs. <laughs> I that was love- free. Um, I, so I have a question for you. Okay. What are you most excited for for this school year? Oh, gee. I am most excited about returning to the same school. Yes. <laughs> and not moving. I um for those who don't know, this is my I just finished my third year of teaching and I have worked in a new school, a new school district, a new school system every single year. So look at your resume and be like, where's the consistency? It doesn't exist, right? So like <laughs> I started off in charter, went to public, now I'm in private. Um, started off in Southeast DC, went to Northeast and DCPS, and now I am um, at an all boys private school in Southeast DC. And I'm just excited for not having to start over and being able to use 
um, the curriculum that I developed last year um, and tweak it for my new boys that are coming this year. Um, I'm excited that I don't have to bring any goddamn boxes home. Like I have so many books in my house from moving all of these years. Um, I bring them to my house and then not everything makes it into the classroom. So I'm just like, I'm over like that. So I'm excited. My mom is more excited than I am. Um, <laughs> like she's, she's like, aren't you glad you ain't moving schools this year? I say, yes, mom, I am. So, uh, that is what I'm most excited about. What so about my, mine is similar. Um, but it wasn't so much focused on the same school, I guess. I'm excited to teach kindergarten again. Um, because now I know what to expect because coming down, I taught first grade. Coming down from first grade, I knew what I needed them to do by the end of the year. But now that I know where I need to get them by the end of kindergarten and what I start with, I feel like I can really get to work because I hadn't had that experience with kindergartners um, before. So I'm excited uh, to be returning to kindergarten, thankfully in the same school. So Those were like some of the most like new novice teacher answers ever they right right so <laughs> i feel like i need to qualify um all the trash i talk because i feel like i've been in education for a long time even though i've only had my class i've only had two of my own classrooms and i know some may say whatever they're gonna say but you don't need all that experience to say the you, things you that don't. you're doing you don't, but Especially I've been in classrooms for a while. You have been in the classrooms for a while, a very long time. So, was that? That's almost ten years. All through high school, all through college, <laughs> two years on my yeah. Come on, whatever, on, girl. Yes. And if you want to know more about that, then you should listen to the bonus episode, right? Yes, because we explain it all through there. No bet. Any other questions you have will be answered there. You can send your questions to commonsensepod at gmail.com. And we might just pick your question to answer next week. Oh, no, wait. They're not anonymous. Thank you for that. (laughs) I feel like some people forget. You know the question thing on Instagram now? I think some people think it's anonymous. Like, I've had some crazy, crazy questions that there's no way that you would ask me that. If you knew that I knew who you were. That's fair enough, too. I hear that. All right, y'all. So we are going to leave you with two quotes to give you something to snack on between you listening to this episode and us releasing our second episode. The first quote comes from Jamila on Twitter. And she says, black folks desperately looking to be loved by white folks won't lead you anywhere that you need to be. Amen, girl. Amen. And in that same breath, Asada Shakur said, nobody in the world, nobody in history has ever gotten their freedom by appealing to the moral sense of people who are oppressing them. And so with that being said, folks, all right, guys, thank thank you so much for listening to our first episode (laughs) and rocking with us through this hot mess of a show. I cannot. Um, 
And we hope that you subscribe and stay <laughs> tuned for the next episode of the Common Sense Podcast. We'll see you next time. Bye, guys.